Hey everyone, Nick here just before the show begins. We are celebrating our one year anniversary of Stoke the Wild and we are so thankful for all of you who have participated and been a part of the show along the way. Uh, we want you to celebrate with us. As we look ahead into what the next year holds, uh, we like to remember all the amazing guests we've had on the show and the different topics we've talked about. And to celebrate, we're doing a limited edition t-shirt that is available for pre-order right now if you go to www tinyurl.com slash stwshirts that's s-t-w-s-h-i-r-t-s and you can pre-order the shirt there and help support the show and continue to be a part of this creative endeavor for those of you who've been here since the beginning thank you so much for being on this journey with us for one whole year for those of you who have found us partway through and jumped headfirst into this creative community thank you so much for being with us we're so thankful and we're excited for what's to come now on with the show Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Stoke the Wild. Thank you so much for joining us each and every week as we talk about creativity, what inspires your imagination, and what gets you excited about creating every day. I am one of your hosts, Nick Dertinger, and with me as always is... The other host, Joy Dertinger. That's right, and we're so excited because uh, just a couple weeks ago we had our first re-return, someone who has been on the show before, um, and we get to welcome back another guest who's been on the show early on when we first started almost a year ago. And that is our good friend, Chris Campbell. Mm -hmm. Chris, say hi to everybody. Hello, lovely people. (laughs) (laughs) You are lovely. I'm glad Chris finally said it. I've been wanting to say it, but I didn't have, I I wasn't bold enough. And I'm glad, I'm glad Chris said it. You guys are lovely people. (laughs) It's true. I mean, if you, if you like what Nick and Joy are doing, you must be pretty darn great. <laughs> pretty darn great, pretty <laughs> lovely. Joy almost spat out her drink there. She was thrilled from that. Oh, that's um, great. Now we, uh, if you've listened to the show regularly, guys, then uh, Chris was, I think, episode five or six of our, our early show as we were getting launched, and um, it's exciting to have him back. Chris lives in the England, in England, in the in, in the, the in, England. In I guess it kind of is the England, England now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Chris lives in England with his wife and kids, and uh, he's a graphic designer, a visual artist, a poet, a writer, and um, just uh, a top-notch guy when it comes to creativity, cinematography, visual communication, and even the ability to express what it means to be creative. Um, and so if you've listened to that episode, then I, I think you're going to be thrilled with what we're going to be talking about tonight as we continue to dive into creativity. And as you know, over the last few weeks, uh, the world has been dealing with um, this pandemic and being stuck inside and trying to flatten the curve. And we're all about doing what is right and healthy to stay home and to keep people healthy and support those who are working hard to bring this down. Uh, but it also takes a toll and it's difficult. And um, one of the things that we you know, have to embrace as a community of people, a community of human beings is that we have to be there for one another and support one another. And it's no different when it comes to creativity. And uh, having Chris on the show this week is exciting because we're going to talk about how, um, 
you know, people are gathering together to do things to support one another and to kind of uh, share joy and happiness in the world, as well as what it looks like sometimes to battle the chaos um, as a creative person when things don't go the way we want them to. And so my hope is that as we as we speak today, uh, you guys will get a chance to just hear from his heart and hear about some of the things that are going on and also be inspired to continue to persevere in the midst of chaos as well. So I'd like to say something. Please do. <laughs> um, I'm very excited about this episode uh, to be able to be recording with Chris because last time, what like you said almost a year ago, um, I think we made it five or 10 minutes into recording and I had to exit to uh, take care of a child and I, did, I didn't get to come back. So I'm excited to be part of the... To be more involved with yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm excited to be part of the conversation. It'll be good. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm excited you'll be here too. Awesome. Obviously, Nick's a, a great guy, but you're definitely his better half. <laughs> um, <and laughs> That's true. I'm not even uh, going to deny it. I'm There's no well, point yeah. in denying it. <laughs> this is good. I and, like uh, this conversation you know, already. Yeah. This is great. Two heads better than one. Three yeah. heads better than two. Like that's you can't argue against that. It's just math. I mean, unless you unless you get to a point where it's just like mania. Thirty heads like, are oh. better than one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah maybe not that. Mm-hmm. But on a small scale, this this is a good thing. This is good. Yep. Well, Chris, mm-hmm. uh give us fill us in with a little bit of what's been going on in your life just briefly over the last uh you know, eight or nine months or so since you were on the show last, just kind of fill us in on some of the stuff that you've been doing uh, before we jump into some of the conversation for uh, this week. What, what's been going on in your life as a creative person? Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, so a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, basically, since the last time I was on, um, I... I was speak, uh, uh, I spoke to you guys about this sort of large project um, where I was sort of telling a lot of really interesting stories um, around life in London, culture, um, art, fashion, all that sort of thing. And uh, basically, in the time since then, that project has kind of died and then been resurrected in like a, you know, on steroids sort of way. And so it's kind of crazy. Because the current plan is, you know, that business was going to be UK based only. And when we started digging into the business side of that, um, it just became really clear, actually, for this to succeed, it needs a market like New York or LA um, or Chicago, you know, somewhere this huge that can really, you know, bear the weight of, uh, you know, the support it needs. And so I kind of thought, oh, well, that must be the end of it then. Because if, you know, it's not big enough to work in the UK, there's no way they're going to take it over to the States. Mm. Um, Like everybody else involved in the company, other than me, they're all British. Uh, mm. Instead, the guy who, you know, he's the founder, um, he was just like, okay, so we'd have to take it to the States. Chris, you're my problem solver. Solve me that problem. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay, well, you know, if you wanted me to move to America to like build this for you, this is, you know, sort of what we'd need to do. And this is sort of how much you'd need to raise. And like, this is a lot of money. I don't think you probably want to do it. And he was just like, yeah, it's a lot of money, but you don't know how long I've been dreaming of this company. You know, mm. for, for him, it's been like 20 years in the making. And so yeah. for wow. he's just like, 
that's fine. If it takes another two years to see this happen, um, <laughs> let's do it. And he's like, but the only way I'm doing this is if you will head it up in America. So like, what would I have to give you to move back to America? And I was like, Oh, well, if you could influence the election, that'd be nice. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, um, well, like I probably need a pretty, you know, healthy wage guaranteed for like two years. If I'm going to move my entire family over and like, you know, all the business systems are totally different in America. Like you have the, the medical costs and everything. Um, just insurance is really overwhelming going from a system like in the UK where, you know, all of our healthcare is funded just by taxes. Really. Um, we don't have to worry about insurance or co-pays or anything like that. Um, and again, I just thought he's going to say no way. Instead, he was just like, okay, well, how much do you want to make a year? And I was just like, well, all right, if we were doing that, you know, here are some numbers. And again, I was just like, there's no way he's going to say yes to this because this is more money than I've ever made. And he's just like, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, yeah. Also, how does full creative freedom sound? And I'm like, well, <laughs> if you're going to twist my arm, then yes. Um <laughs> So that's kind of like in the works, um, but sort of obviously that's two years in the future. Right. And there was a lot of groundwork that needed to be done, especially like business development side of things that he sort of was going to pay me to do. And he had, you know, some means in place to do that. And it was going to cover, you know, probably four months of my, no, probably closer to six months of my living expenses um, for like the next 12 months. So it was going to be like a huge part of, you know, what I was doing this next year. Um, And I was totally psyched for it. And then about three weeks ago, suddenly the UK was like, oh yeah, coronavirus. Maybe this is something we should take seriously. And everything started slowing down and then shutting Mm. down and then quarantine and then, no, seriously, we mean it. If you don't go back to your room, you're going to get in trouble. People who are going to the beach, people who are just like going Uh. out to bars, even though the government has said, do not gather in groups of more than five people. And now it's down to do not go outside more than once a day. And if you are outside, don't go out with more than one person. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, like it's intense. But anyway, about three weeks ago, that hit. And this project died again. Mm. And it was just like, oh, gosh, like six months of work and you know more than that for finances is just totally gone Mm. and i was like oh well that really stings but you know fortunately i've got a few other projects on the go that are you know quite large and would you know tide me over and then a few days later those also fell through and it was just like man you're thinking like probably nine months, maybe even like a full year's worth of expenses and work just completely out the window. And I'm sitting here going, Mm. man, how many months can I keep my business afloat without any new work coming in? Because I work primarily with small and medium sized businesses by design. Like I just don't like working for the big corporate guys because most of the time you don't really make a difference. Mm. Even if you do a really cool ad campaign or marketing push for them, the fact is like, Nike is Nike and they're going to keep doing their thing regardless of how well or poorly you executed what they hired you to do. And like, 
not making an impact and not making a difference is just a really demotivating thing for me. It's like, oh, so disheartening to mm. feel like you're not you're not making a difference. Yeah. Uh, but with small and medium sized businesses, dude, you can make a huge difference. Like if they get someone who really knows what they're doing, like you can transform not only someone's business, but like their whole life. I mean, when you're starting up a business and you're worried about money and how you're going to pay rent and how you're going to feed your kids, how you're going to pay your employees, all of that, like, Oh man, the stress is crazy. Mm -hmm. And so if you can help someone find some success and, you know, alleviate those issues, just solve their problems. Um, that's awesome. It's one of the best feelings ever. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I, continue to do graphic design and marketing and stuff like that. Um, but those businesses have been told by the government, oh, hey, by the way, you're not allowed to do business anymore. Mm. And we are, we have no idea how long that'll last. Right. You know, it could be two months, it could be six months, could be nine months, it could be 18 months before everything's fully back to normal. Mm. And when a business is told, oh, hey, by the way, indefinitely, you're not allowed to make money, then immediately they're like, oh, well, if we're not making money, we can't be spending money. <laughs> right. And like, there's just nowhere to turn to really um, outside of a, a very small, you know, set of industries that are booming. And you know what? Uh, despite my portfolio, Netflix has not come calling. Uh, <laughs> That's too so, bad. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. Me neither. Hmm. But anyway, all that to say, um, it was looking, you know, like kind of bleak. And I was... I was open on social media, much more open than I normally am. Um, I'm a super open book in person, but on social media, I just don't talk about stuff as much, mostly because um, in the UK, especially, like, oh, people hate talking about money. Like, if you talk about money, it's like, oh, what? Like, what are you, crazy? Like, we <laughs> should be embarrassed that, like, money is something that we make. And what? And then... Yeah, yeah, like British people, like if you ask someone like, oh, how, how much money do you make? It's like super rude. Mm. I still ask. Mm -hmm. I get kicked <laughs> in the shins over and over and over from Rachel. I'm like, why are you kicking me? And, uh. then, and then everybody at the table starts laughing because they like have totally picked up on what's happening. And I'm mm -hmm. just sitting there oblivious. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is probably one of those things I shouldn't say. <laughs> um, but again, it's doesn't stop me from saying it the next time. Um, but anyway, so you already have that with British people. And then even more, I find a lot of creative people don't like talking about the business side of things. And a lot of that, mm. I, I totally understand. I used to be super against the business side of creativity and the money side of things because I was like, you know what? It's all about the art. And if you're really an artist, you should have integrity. It doesn't matter if you ever make any money, you should die penniless and alone <laughs> just sad making the best art ever oh. because surely that's where it's all gonna come from well all, all the greats I, did it that's for sure exactly exactly mm. and then like as i got older and as i was like oh yeah i have to pay bills um but i'm doing it through creativity i was like Oh man, actually, you know, if I would have thought about this a little bit more ahead of time and I had put some good business practices in place, it wouldn't have been selling out. It actually would have been using work I was already doing mm. to allow me opportunities to do more work in the future. Um, so anyway, um, I posted about this on social media just because I was so... Oh, like there's a phrase here called gutted mm -hmm. and it's like, Oh, 
gutted to hear that. And it, it just like that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like oh man, like everything just spilled out of me onto the floor, like so mm-hmm. empty. I was just like, how am I going to get through this? Um, anyway. And a, a friend from university um, got in touch. She does uh, a lot of work with film these days. And she said, hey, um, you know, I like the work that you do. Would you be interested in a totally unpaid project? Um, there'd be collaborative in nature. There would probably be six or seven of us, um, you know, different skill sets. But what we'd be doing is we'd be looking at, you know, collecting contributions around uh, a central theme every week, um, audio, video, photo, um, you know, pretty much anything somebody could send in, you know, we would consider using. And each week we'll sort of take what's given to us, we'll package that in, a, you know, a really concise, um, high quality video. And we'll just spread it um, as something that we'll never make money, but it, you know, might uh, make some people happy, you know, just share a little bit of joy, a little bit of happiness. And the, the name of the project was All For Joy. And I thought, okay, you know what? Like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills in two months, but I don't know how I can change that. And this is something that whether I'm going to pay my bills in two months or not, um, I'd really like to work on. This sounds fun. Mm. And so we had this, you know, initial meeting and there were three different design people and there were different elements of things. Uh, but I specialize in logo design and branding specifically. Um, and so I said, Hey, you know, my normal logo design and branding process takes about seven or eight weeks, but, um, how long do you need this turned around in? And they were like, Oh, we were hoping in the next, like, five days is that not long enough (laughs) i was just like well fortunately my schedule is wide open um i can do it in three (laughs) exactly exactly. i was like i can i can find a way to make this work in 72 hours and that was literally like what i told her um and she's like okay so I set up like a, a consultation meeting with her just to like walk her through a bunch of standard questions so I could understand, you know, what are the objectives? Because a lot of people, when it comes to creativity, um, they, they sort of don't have any restrictions in their personal life. And I think that's good. A lot of the times, like, you know, you should be free to sort of imagine anything yeah. you can imagine. Um, and success is a really relative, you know, thing yeah. with projects like But with something like this, where you're hoping to make a practical impact, um, it's a totally different story, in my opinion. Mm. And the entire project has to be driven by, all right, well, what are we hoping to do? And Mm -hmm. so I had to work all that out with her, build a brief. And from there, I was like, all right, let me do as much research as I possibly can about this demographic, um, about, you know, what is going to, you know – bridge these different markets because they were looking for like old young all all these different things and so i was like Mm. all right how can i do all of this and so i you know start off i sketch like a few hundred different concepts and then do a bunch of mind maps and stuff like that really boring stuff but it's just (laughs) stuff i do every time because it's this really repeatable process that means like when you get to the very end where you are presenting something usually i'll present one two, maybe three logo concepts. Um, But if they go, oh, you know, Chris, we realized we said this, but we didn't want that at all. What we actually (laughs) want is this totally other thing, which you'd be really surprised, like, but companies do that. Yeah. They're like, oh, 
you know, we told you we're a copywriting business and we thought, you know, uh, quill pens were really cool and ink pots were like, yeah, let's go for that. Mm. Well, we've just thought about it as you're pitching this. And we realized even though we love the aesthetic of this, you know, actually I do all my writing on a laptop. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should, you know, do something around a laptop. Mm, yeah. And it's mm. like, oh, OK, well, that is very different from anything we talked about. But <laughs> if you, you give me two hours, I've got hundreds of designs I can fall back on. And I will take that feedback and I will find something that fits your needs a little bit better. Mm. Um so I just applied that same process to this, even though it was, you know, super condensed and a lot mm-hmm. less research um, than I would normally be able to do. And I created something and I was like, actually, yeah, I'm really proud of this. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll send over the artwork after this and you can be like, oh, Chris, I think you did good. Or you can be like, no, Chris, you suck. You need to do better. <laughs> and I will take either criticism gladly. But anyway, <laughs> I was just like super dance about it. And I was like, mm. yeah. And then it was interesting because, like, I then kind of had to hand off this baby, you know, to some other designers. Um, And and I was just like, I'm kind of excited to see what they do with it. But at the same time, like, man, I'm such a perfectionist. Like, if they don't do what I want with it, like, what is that going to feel like? Mm. And it was really interesting. And I still haven't fully seen what they're going to do with it. So that's definitely going to be a process that I will grow through. Uh, But it was a, a really fun project and just reminded me that like even in the midst of all this chaos all this unknown all this like worry and stress and like oh man like how am I gonna pay my bills it's like Mm. you know what my entire year financially was mapped out and that felt great Mm -hmm. and obviously it doesn't feel great knowing that it's not mapped out now Mm. but at the end of the day like things changed circumstances changed and suddenly mm-hmm. everything that seemed like it was set in stone is like, well, no, none of that's happening. Mm. And the fact is like right now I could choose to be like super stressed out because like, seriously, uh, I don't have a giant runway. So <laughs> legitimately, like if I didn't get any money in for six months, like that wouldn't work. The yeah. math would very much be against me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet like, the fact is in another month or another two weeks or another two months or three months or however long it could be, circumstances could change again and then everything would be fine. And in a sense, that's that's kind of what happened. Like I focused this entire week on this like pro bono project and, you know, not really sure what was going to happen. I just spent more time with my kids, my wife, just sort of hanging mm. out sort of relaxed, problem solved a lot of things like meal plans and, you know, when groceries were going to get delivered and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, yesterday I get uh, a call from the the founder of that company who wants everything to move to California. Um, And he said, listen, man, I understand like this situation super sucks. And all conventional wisdom says, you know what, you should just sit on your money and not spend it (laughs) because you don't know what's going to happen. He's like, but that's not really me. And so the (laughs) fact is, even though the investors I had lined up to pay you for, you know, six months of work, they're not here right now. Um, Like Mm. they might give me money in the future for this, but 
that's the future and I don't want to wait for the future. Mm. I want to see this happen now. And so even though I don't really have the money, I've got two months worth of money that I will pay you out of my own bank account. And let's see what we can do with that two months. Let's see if we can prove that what we're doing is valuable to, uh, you know, people in London. And if we can prove that to investors in the UK, they're going to see that it would also transfer over to really any creative community if you apply the same principles. And so he's like, you know what? Like, I'm not really a gambler, but I'm comfortable taking a risk on you because I know you, I trust you. And like, we're going to do really good work no matter what happens. And so it was a, you know, really amazing thing because, (laughs) you know, I was able to tell my wife at the end of the day yesterday, it's like, okay, who deep breath, like everything will be all right for, you know, a few months at least. Mm -hmm. And it was just like totally awesome because I didn't push that. I didn't make that happen. I didn't, you know, send out 300 emails and, you know, get 1% of people responding going, you know what, despite this, I will pay you money to do this. It was purely like, I do good work for good people and the results do speak for themselves. And so fortunately, someone who I have a very good relationship with said, you know what, instead of playing this safe, like, Let's let's make something happen. And I think that's what's really inspiring to me um, about this time is, uh, you know, friends of ours who uh, I don't know if you guys know Katie Norregard, for instance. Uh, I remember her. Yeah. So yeah. she also went to Moody. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, later, I'll tell you the story of how we met. It was like the dumbest way to meet anyone ever. I was <laughs> really stupid. I met so many people uh. at university because like, I was just like purposely kind of an idiot and was just like, I'm going to do something so socially awkward and like, let's just see how people respond. <laughs> and like, I made some really great friends that way though. Um, and she was one of them. Um, And she's super creative, but what she has done uh, during this time is she's always been a really talented musician. Um, She's always been really great with kids. Mm -hmm. And so she has done, you know, Miss Katie Sings, and she has this YouTube channel, and she's doing, like, music classes for kids. Mm -hmm. It's so strange, you know, 10, 11 years on from, uh, you know, going to school together that I'm putting that on for my kids, and my kids are like, oh, wow, yeah, Miss Katie is is the best mm. it's so cool it's got this <laughs> yeah. like real modern day sort of mr rogers vibe going on but like in oh, her own style cool. yeah and my kids are just like loving it and then after they've watched you know three or four i'm like oh hey guys by the way did you know that dad is friends with miss katie oh and they're like what no way <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's awesome amazing. That's um, so cool. But it's, just, it's, it's really awesome to see people sort of seizing the day. And, mm. like, it happens, like, in big ways like that, which, you know, to her, maybe that doesn't even feel like a big way. Maybe she's just like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I've spent an hour, like, every couple of days doing a video. Mm-hmm. Um, but even on smaller scale, people who aren't making any money for it, I, I've – you know, been heavily involved in the poetry scene here in the UK um, for the last sort of like 18 months now. Um, 
And it's crazy because like all open mic nights and stuff like that are gone. Like poetry slams can't happen. Mm. And so I've seen a lot of people who are not tech savvy at all make this transition to, you know, hosting virtual events Mm -hmm. in ways that are totally outside their comfort zone. Uh, But they're making it work. And it's just really inspiring to see. And also a lot of people who, whether they've been writing for a short time or a long time, saying like, hey, you know what? Um, I've got a lot of time on my hands. And also, um, everybody's stuck indoors. Let me use this as an opportunity to share my work on social media in a way that maybe previously they were too self-conscious to do, or mm. there just wasn't enough of an audience to yeah. you know really support. Well, and I so- think that brings up a interesting opportunity and a point that you made. Like we you know, we find ourselves in an interesting set of circumstances, right? So there is a difference and it's something Joy and I have talked about over the last couple of weeks with people, the that idea of I'm going to take this opportunity and capitalize on it in a good way and utilize my time, utilize my talents, et cetera. Um, and then there's also like the, the other side of that, you know, and trying to take care of yourself and be healthy, stay sane, all those things. And sometimes those go hand in hand. Sometimes though, the pressure of making things or using this time as valuable can overwhelm people. Uh, mm-hmm. But where do, where do you find yourself when it comes to that? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so this has been really interesting because I've had a lot of conversations with creatives who are feeling a real desire and a responsibility to engage with people um, in regards to their creative work, but also encouraging folks to explore their own creativity. And the one thing that has come up every single time in conversation that like really blows me away is the creatives keep saying, oh man, I just feel really kind of like skeezy. Like I'm capitalizing on this like pandemic. Right. And I'm like, no, gosh, like I totally <laughs> understand feeling guilty about that. Yeah. But yeah. All you have to do is reframe the way you're thinking about it. Cause the way you're thinking about it is you are taking advantage of people, but that's mm. not it. It's not right. like you went and bought all the toilet paper and now you're selling it <laughs> at five times the price. Right. It's like, you've always been making toilet paper and now people are like, Hey, we really need toilet paper. And you're like, Oh, really? Because I make toilet paper and I'm mm. selling it to you at the same price I always have. Exactly. It's like yeah. you have something valuable mm-hmm. to offer to people who genuinely recognize their need for it right now. Yeah. So, like, but, so I find that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I find that like there's been a lot of people who are, you know, why, why do we specifically in America, I think with some of the tax relief stuff and some of the things mm. that are going on, they're like, you know, why do we need funds set aside for like – the arts and all this stuff, mm-hmm. like the, you know, the people working, blah blah blah, and it brings us hope. Well, and even oh, right yeah. now, the people who are saying that are the people who are stuck at home being entertained by the artists. Yes, it's exactly. Movies, um, streaming, music, television show, anything, music, video yeah. games, like the arts are what's keeping people it's keeping moving. You sane. Every day. Yeah, it's, well, and it keeps you feeling connected to other people too, right? Yeah, whether it's like, something you read or something you watch, yeah. it's, it's there. Yeah, my little sister, um, she's not little anymore. She's an adult. It's a habit, force a habit. Um, so she's an adult now, but she's uh, a senior in violin performance um, at NIU uh, University here in Illinois. And um, everything was just like cut off, right? You know, like university stopped. Um, and she has to continue all of her classes online. How do you do that as a violin performance major? 
Um, mm. every, every project that similar to what you were saying, like she lost out on months of income, everything that she was doing, every gig that she had. Um, and she's a singer songwriter too. And, and every single thing that she had lined up fell through. Um, all of her classes are online. All of her lessons and like rehearsals are like these weird sort of FaceTimed or zoomed things, which like when you are a, like a professional violinist, that kind of sucks. Um, because like that beautiful tone that you can get from your instrument, it doesn't translate across like the internet and, you know, uh, crappy computers and whatever. Um, but mm. this morning it's similar to what you were saying, Chris, like this morning she said, you know what? I don't know if anybody's going to tune in, but, uh, I got nothing but time on my hands and all of these things that I had practiced for gigs that I had lined up. There's, I have nothing else to do with them. So she did like a live from her living room show um, and just like streamed it live on Instagram. And I think maybe like 10 people um, tuned in. But for me anyway, and I know that for those other people, it brought like hope and it brought joy to our morning and it gave us a sense of connection and we could, you know, um, talk back and forth. And it made me feel, um, you know, there's something about like art and music that makes you feel more alive again when a lot of the times when you're stuck indoors, um, it it can feel uh, stagnant and it can feel like it's all like life is uh, sort of slowly draining away, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there's a long running historical sort of view of art that, you know, it's for the privileged elite. Mm. Um, and one of, one of the phrases that I really like is, uh, you know, bread and roses. And that's been used in a mm. lot of different ways over the years. Um, mm. But there was this uh, women's suffragette uh, speech actually in um, sort of 1912 mm -hmm. um, that is really, you know, beautiful. Uh, but this one quote from it says, um, what the woman who labors wants is the right to live, not simply exist. The right mm. to life is the rich woman has the right to life and the sun and music and art. You have nothing that the humblest worker has not a right to have. Also, the worker must have bread, but she must have roses too. Mm. Um, That's and it's just that idea that like, yeah, you know, we can survive, um, with very little, but yeah. I think people underestimate how difficult it is for people who are, you know, on a low income or mm. in precarious circumstances. And one of the things that this is hopefully doing is putting us, no matter how privileged we are in a position where we see how fragile society and our existence within that society is. Mm -hmm. And it, it hopefully helps us to reorient our priorities. It's just like all these governments suddenly being like, uh, this, this was insane. I read this today. It's like, Oh, by, by this coming Friday, all homeless people who are sleeping on the streets in the entire United Kingdom will have shelter. What? Yeah. I'm and sorry. That's, the... that's, some, that's something the government was able to do with like a week of being like, hey, we should solve this. And it's wow. like literally before this, they've been like, what no, do we do? No oh, no, we no can't. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Like, so mad. It takes a crisis and suddenly they're like, yeah. oh, actually, yeah, we can solve that really quickly. Mm -hmm. And like. I know that's getting a little bit off topic, but I do think 
um, what Nick was talking about in terms of arts funding and the importance of arts and like, oh, well, surely it's not as important as, you know, math or science mm. or anything else. And mm. I, I love math and science. Like, I'm a total geek. Yeah. Um, but there is something about self-expression, which is mm-hmm. what art is all about. And uh, I think when people are in fear of their life or in fear for their future or in fear for their children's future, um, that's when they realize, wow, you know, self-expression, it's, it's a really powerful thing because, you know, whether they're stressed out or anxious or nervous or whatever, you know, maybe it's, uh, the restaurant down the road that's giving away free meals, um, to people in need that inspires them, or maybe it's, Mm listening to their favorite musician perform live on Instagram from Mm -hmm. their living room. Um, Like who knows, but like small things like that are just like trickling down into the mainstream consciousness. And it's really amazing to see people be like, Oh wow. Art is valuable. This is (laughs) right. Maybe I will learn how to draw or paint or Mm. sing or dance or, and you're just like, Oh, this is amazing. So many people who previously, whether through like apathy or lack of time or lack of energy or lack of interest or whatever it might be, were just like, no way. Art is totally closed off from me. I was saying Mm. like, actually this is within my reach. Mm -hmm. This is something. I might want to do. And obviously as a professional creative, um, I suppose I could respond to that in a way that's like, Oh no, I'm really nervous about this. Like once things go back to normal, is there going to be like such a saturated market that like, maybe I won't be able to get the work that I need, but I definitely prefer more of a like rising tide raises all ships mentality where I'm like, Hey, more people in the arts can only be a good thing because it's going to lead to a greater appreciation and understanding of the value of the arts. And so someone working as a professional creative in the arts, like if more of society sees that as valuable, then that can only be good for me from like a financial perspective, because maybe I don't get, you know, 25 clients every six months, but maybe the 12 that I do get in this new, you know, slightly changed society pay me more because they're like, Hey, this is more valuable than we thought. Like who knows? Yeah. Then, it is going to be interesting, you know, how to see how it all shakes out at the end of all this. Um, not just in, not just in the ways it changes economical principles or values in creativity, but just life in general. Like when you think about how many small businesses will be shuttered forever because yeah. of this, and you think of how many families, what lives will be different because of uh, loss or something else. Like our world's going to be different. Joy and I were talking the other day about how this is, this is our, this is our net, like our children's, like you know, big event in their life. You mm. know, like it's a big event in our lives too. But I think about different things that have taken place, whether that was nine eleven or Columbine or things like that. At least in the U.S., where like yeah. I, you know, I was a kid and this was life changing, and the world was no longer the same afterwards. Um, at least my world was no longer the same afterwards. Uh, and how we approach things is, it's wild. And for the world now, it's not going to be the same. And, you know, whether it's fighting for climate change or, um, you know, better health care or whatever it is, like the next generation of kids and leaders as they grow up are going to have this as part of their life experience. And um, beyond just creativity and art, I think that says something about the world that we're leaving behind. You know, when we think about legacy and we think about um, what we're showing our kids or what we're showing the people around us when we can utilize 
um, creativity in art than to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring something new. I think there's value in that. And hopefully, like you said, people then see it. And when we do walk out of this, if we walk out of this, there will be a renewed wonder, maybe is the right word, mm. for what for what we do and what the world has to offer and what artists have to offer, whether that's in poetry or music, writing, painting, um, or ridiculous videos on the internet. Like, <laughs> hopefully there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, just this renewed wonder for imagination because of it. Absolutely. And like, I think in a sense, uh, and maybe this is like kind of a, a weird direction to take it, but I look at it, look at it as uh, a little bit like, I don't know. Right now, artists are the pioneers, like people who are able to find a way through this wilderness that is totally new territory for most, if not all of us. You know, they really are like the Lewis and Clark of (laughs) what's happening. It's like, okay, you know, obviously the deep oceans haven't been explored thoroughly. Obviously space is, you know, boundless and there's plenty to explore there. But outside of that, like most of the planets kind of already been, you know, explored pretty thoroughly. There's not much space to go, but if you're in the business of solving problems and <laughs> even just like the business of improvising or adapting to new circumstances, in a sense, like you're never going to run out of adventure. And hopefully, um, you know, people start to live a little bit more adventurously in light of the fact that, yeah, you know, the world is an uncertain place and it is you know, very difficult to know what things are going to be like in six yes. months or six years as a result of this. Um, I don't know how you've spoken to your kids about it. Um, we started off talking to our kids about it in a way that maybe seems like a little bit flippant um, on, on reflection. <laughs> really? Um, well, yeah, just <laughs> because like there was a, there was concern here. And so we were like, well, we want to make sure we like let them know that some things are going to be a little different, a little weird, but we weren't sure how serious the government was going to take it. And we obviously at the time as well, didn't really know how serious it was going to be globally. So we were like, well, I don't know. We started calling it like the big cough, um, (laughs) because (laughs) like it's airborne transmitted. And so it was like, okay, well we have to, you know, uh, stay, you know, X amount of feet away from people because, you know, they, they could cough and they could get us sick with the big cough. And, you know, we have to make sure that we stay away from people who are immunocompromised and, and older um, if we have these sorts of symptoms because, you know, even if we're fine, you know, they they might not be. And, like, we don't want to give anybody the big cough and have it hurt them. And that maybe sounds, like I said, like perhaps a, a little bit of a flippant way of doing it, but it was just sort of like, the most natural way that came up. But I think we are getting to the point now where we're having to sort of think a little bit like almost the sex talk. It's like, okay, well, at some point you talk in like very vague generalities and you introduce concepts and ideas, but you know, it comes a time when you're like, all right, well, we've got to get a little more specific. Yeah. Um, there are some things you need to know uh, if you're going to get through uh, you know, life okay as a result of this. And right. I think we're sort of nearing that point and we're trying to work through, you know, what is the right balance um, with our kids' attitudes and temperaments of explaining to them 
the global crisis that this is, uh, you know, in, in a way that's not just, oh, hey, just so you know, it's like because of the big cough, a lot of stores aren't delivering groceries as often. So you might not like all of the meals that we're eating. Like some of it might be new for you. It's going beyond that and going like, listen, this is hurting a lot of people and we need to think about like how we can care for them and how we can, you know, be a good neighbor to other countries and, you know, all, all that sort of thing. And right. I would be really interested to hear, like, I suppose how you guys have approached your kids about that. Cause you have one more kids than I do, but also <laughs> it feels like a much wider age range. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I would just be really curious to hear what you guys have done on that. Well, yeah. our kids, uh, our kids are, I think they have, they have a good idea of what's going on. Um, but also they, they tend to internalize a lot, I'd say. Uh, especially Joaquin. And so there's been, um, not hesitation per se, but just like, just like you mentioned with your kids, like how we're approaching it, we're trying to be cautious of, cause we yeah. obviously don't want him to, or any of them to panic or like get overly anxious, like mm -hmm. they're going to specifically get themselves in trouble with it or whatever else, you know, um, because they have a tendency, some of them, like Joy said, have a tendency to like then over internalize that and make it like, no, this is going to happen to me. And mm. yeah, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that's true, but we, you know, we need to talk about it. Yeah. We've had to be really mm. careful, uh, how we frame it because similar to what you said, ob obviously every child is different. Every child has a different temperament. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so like our oldest is very like, she really enjoys facts and, um, rules and things like that. She, she really enjoys like knowing what's coming and like following a set pattern, um, have making lists. And so she's very sort of type a in that way. And so she wants to know like, well, what's happening. And so if that's happening, what is happening as a result of that? And what caused the first thing to happen? Um, and, uh, and I suppose all children are that way to a certain extent. Um, but she, she remains like slightly more detached than our seven year old does. And he, um, you know, like Nick said, will internalize a lot of things and it kind of comes out as anxiety and, um, fearfulness. And so it's been interesting trying to like toe the line between what is appropriate to share with one child might not be appropriate to share with another child. And yet if you share it with the first child, they talk to each other. They live in the oh, same yeah. house and they're going to share it with each other at some point. Right. So how do you, how do you balance that uh, sort of difference between like, yeah. okay, this one kid isn't ready to hear it yet. Um, and so well, figuring and that out. On top of that, um, Joy and then our five-year-old and our three-year-old are all immunocompromised. So if yeah. we were to bring it into our house, mm. it could be very bad. Yeah. And uh, two of those three have respiratory issues. And so, like, again, this attacks the respir respiratory system in an extreme way. Mm -hmm. And the last thing we want is for that to happen. So – then when we do communicate, it's like, don't, like, I, part of me is like, don't you understand? Like, you're going to kill somebody if you yeah. don't, like, wash your hands. <laughs> right. Because this is, this could be so dangerous. And then at the same time, it's like. They're children. Yeah. So, and hey, we have to be mm, so careful how we talk about it. Wash your hands because I don't want you to be responsible for, you know, someone's sickness. Yeah. Well, and like Zoe, um, she was sick last week with a little bug of some kind. And she seems to be fine now. 
Um, but she did spike a fever and she was coughing and she had, you know, those symptoms. And so um, we immediately quarantined her um, and followed CDC precautions, which was really difficult to do um, just on an emotional level. Um, she's really vibrant. She's really bouncy and she likes to be a part of things. She's extremely social and extroverted. And so telling her that she has to be in her room um, for kind of an extended period of time was, was really difficult. Um, and so we had this really tough decision to make of like, do we like, how, how do we do this? Right. Because she's the only child who has her own room. The three boys uh, share a room and we just kind of did that as everyone got older because there was one room that was really small and one room that was larger. And we thought, well, it's easier to make this transition now where there's a boy's room and a girl's room as opposed to waiting until they're like 11 and 13 or something like that. Um, and so we'll do it now. So she has her own room um, and she had she she does like reading. She loves to play like with her own stuff and be left alone to a certain extent. But after a certain amount of time, she wants to be a part of what everybody else is doing. Um, and that was, that was tough to explain both to her and to the other kids. Um, and, and like I said, a tough choice to make because it was kind of one of those things where, okay, do we, uh, do we say like everything is as normal and hang out on the couch and, you know, whatever, because we don't actually know what's happening yet. Um, or, and, and, you know, um, run the risk of maybe someone who's not immunocompromised picking it up, but then that person inevitably will sleep in the same room as somebody who is immunocompromised. So how do we make that decision? Mm. Um, and it was, for me, it was, uh, particularly tough. Um, Zoe, is probably the healthiest kid in our family, ironically. <laughs> um, because when she was born, uh, we had some complications and we almost lost her. Um, specifically uh, respiratory. She wasn't breathing when she was born. Um, and I remember sort of that moment of choosing, ah, she, you know what, she has to um, sort of stay put for a while. And flashing back to that memory of when she was born, um, and she was, you know, blue and purple and, um, not, you know, not, not breathing, not making any sounds and not moving, um, and watching her be resuscitated. And now she's this completely, you know, completely the opposite of that. Uh, and so for me, it was, it was extremely, uh, taxing emotionally. And so the kids would ask me like, Oh, Zoe, come play this game with us. And I'm like, oh, okay, how do I explain this, uh, in a way that's going to make sense to them? And so the way that we approached it, at least with that was, so you know how lots of people are getting sick right now and this bug or virus is, it just spreads really fast. Um, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know how mom and Reese and Elo, you know, um, we don't have super great immune systems and sometimes it's easy for us to get sick and they kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So while, um, you know, Zoe is probably totally fine. She probably just has a cold. Um, but mom and recent ELO can't afford to get colds right now because their immune systems are already low. So if mom and recent ELO get a cold on top of their immune systems being low, it's going to be even worse and it's going to be even weaker. And so um, if mom or Reese or ELO are exposed to something outside of the house, 
then, you know, we run the risk of them getting really sick. And so we don't want that to happen. So we're trying to be as safe as we can. Um, And so that's kind of how we framed it to the other kids. And to Zoe, we framed it as this is a way that you can show that you care for your family. Um, You know, it's, it sucks. It's rough. Um, And we know that you would much rather be out here interacting with everyone all of the time. Um, But this is, this is a way that you can um, love mom. You can love your brothers and, um, you know, just take care of them. Um, Because she does like to, she really likes that feeling of taking care of others. Um, Mm. So it's kind of how we, how we framed it to them. And there are some, good resources too, like Daniel Tiger has a good resource, um, about talking to your kids about coronavirus. And, um, there are, there are some other children's things out there that, um, I have access to because of my work, which have been really helpful in terms of like discussing it with our kids. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how we, how we approached it, I would say. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That was a long explanation. (laughs) <clears throat> no, well, I mean, obviously these are very personal things, and um, <laughs> I suppose you can answer any question in a few words, or you can sort of, you know, tell a story, and yeah. I think that's what you did, and obviously your situation is one that's a little more complicated than a lot of people have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Like for us, the outside of, you know, just fear of sickness, and I suppose the... Issues that can arise, you know, from an uh, obsession on focusing on that too much. The mm-hmm. really the worst thing that could happen with our family, because none of us are immunocompromised or anything like that. We're not really at risk for um, mm. anything too bad to happen if we got sick. Yeah. So really, the worst thing for the kids, in theory, would be if you know their grandma or grandpa, Rachel's mom or dad, um, mm. if one of them were to die, because they're both. Um, heavily immunocompromised and they're both about 70 and they're both pretty stubborn. So are not Mm. necessarily the best at self-isolating. They've, they've been better than I expected. Um, (laughs) But like, that's a real concern, especially because, um, you know, for a lot of people, there's no big deal. Um, but for uh, Rachel's family, it's been a hard year because, uh, you know, not too long ago, Rachel's great grandma um, died mm. or it was her grandma. But my kids is great grandma. Oh. And, you know, the kids are still sort of figuring out like, oh, yeah, what does that mean that like Nana Lily isn't going to come <laughs> to the next family gathering? It's mm. like, oh, yeah, that's right, because she's dead. Now I remember. And you just sort of like, okay, yeah, it's good that you have that language, but like maybe like don't approach it so flippantly. But then right. obviously if something did happen to their grandma or grandpa, um, I could see that potentially having, you know, a big impact on them, yeah. like losing, you know, multiple people in a short space of time. Yeah. Um, that's never something I've had to go through um, or that has really impacted me. And so I think situations like that where I'm like, man, I've never gone through this. It Mm. it feels more difficult to know, like, Ooh, if that did happen, how would I help my kids through it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that is a tough topic. I mean, especially the way that you're talking about it in terms of, um, if, if a child is to lose multiple people at the same time, it's really hard, um, as a parent to navigate that. 
Yeah, Yeah, because like you want to leave space for grief, but grief is processed so differently for, you know, different temperaments and personalities, Mm -hmm. but also just different maturities. Like a lot of the like biggest grief that's happened in my life, um, you know, never really impacted me on an emotional level in the ways that people would have expected it to. Like my Mm -hmm. dad was murdered when I was a baby and like that never really bothered me except for like when I wanted advice and like there Mm. wasn't a father figure there Mm -hmm. um and then like when I was uh 15 my mom left me Mm. and like that was one of the things that when Rachel my wife first met me and she heard sort of my life story she's like oh my gosh like the feelings of abandonment that must have been terrible like that your mom just didn't want you and I was like Mm. oh I guess I never really thought about it that way. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, it, it just didn't bother me. And then like, you know, a year after that, I just broke down crying mm. for like three hours in an office alone. And mm. it is seven o'clock at night. And I was just like, my mom didn't want me. Mm. And like, I had a really big emotional thing, but yeah. that's never really happened before with most of the stuff that's happened to me. Yeah. So like, it's just really hard to know like, Oh yeah. How can I help someone when you're like, man, I don't know. Mm. Like this could be something that comes back 12 years from now. Like this could be something that like, you know, they're an adult going to a therapist and they're suddenly like, Oh my gosh, this is the source of all of this thing that's been plaguing me. And I've never Mm. known how to articulate it. And I'm like, Oh gosh, what a failure as a parent. If only I had more insight. Uh, (laughs) But I think that you, I I think that you approached it perfectly though, leaving space and allowing people to grieve in their own way. You know, um, it doesn't fit into a box and, and like you said, different temperaments, different ages, and all of those things. As a parent, really, all we can do is support our children. And you know your child best, right? Um, you and Rachel know your children the best, um, better than anyone else can right now. And uh, and that's how you support them. You allow them to be who they are and to process it the way that they're processing it. And you you create space for that. And that's, I mean, that's all you can do, right? That's, that's the perfect way to approach it. Well, I will... Uh I will take that compliment. This is what I do for a job. I tell people like, well, I don't tell people how to parent their children, but uh, I support them in their parenting journey. So yeah. Yeah. But I suppose it's similar to like the creativity stuff and the business stuff. Like it's all like none of us know the future. Right. We just, we just know the now. And we know how we've messed up in the past. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we learn from our mistakes when they happen. And hopefully we respond well um, when (laughs) the unexpected inevitably happens in the future. And yeah, it's a lot of the same sort of thing. And it's, I suppose, trying to take things seriously without, you know, really just like driving yourself wild, Mm. you know, thinking about all the ways you could mess stuff up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so speaking of messing things up, uh, I, for me, this, uh, this time has not been like we talked about a little earlier as, uh, as freeing as I'd hoped it would be, as I'm sure you've experienced. Like it's one thing to be like, Oh, I kind of work for myself. I do a lot of freelance work. 
Um, but then all of a sudden when everyone is stuck inside and there's no moments of like getting out and being able to do something without interruption, it becomes harder to manage. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of people tweet about like anyone saying that they're getting things done during this period clearly doesn't have children. Uh, (laughs) you know, like I just think about the schedules of trying to take care of kids and all this stuff. Um, Mm. but one of the segments we do on the show is what we're going to do today. And we talk about the things we're working on and, uh, I'm always excited to talk about it, but I'm going to be honest, lately I haven't been as, as strong in making sure I'm getting stuff done uh, because of this time, but we're going to talk about it anyway, so what are we going to do today? That's a very good question. It is a great question. Um, it's a great question, Chris, yes. Um, what are we going to do today? Uh, sorry, this song was playing. We didn't and, tell you about the jingle. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't know there was a jingle. Okay. No, we I should have just, told you. It's not your fault at all. You can hear it. I was just like, oh, man, this is such a pregnant pause. They're waiting on yeah. Chris, uh, what are you doing today, yes. though? Yes, but answer the question, Chris. What are yeah. you going to do today? Besides maybe take a nap since it's like. 4 a.m. for you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I will at some point. Um, to be honest, uh, <laughs> the main things I'm doing today are super boring. Um, outside of just spending a little bit of extra time with uh, Rachel and my kids. Um, so basically, um, because tomorrow, uh, yeah, tomorrow morning, um, I'll be starting up on that project. Um, that is eventually, you know, going to move to California probably. Um, basically, I've just got to get in the right mind space for that. This last week has been really different because, you know, there's been no deadlines, no restrictions outside of mm-hmm. just stuff that I'm doing for free. And mm-hmm. while I always want to do my best, there's just less pressure on a pro bono project because mm-hmm. you're like, Listen, at the end of the day, if everything goes absolutely wrong, at least their expectations were probably low because they're not paying <laughs> for them. Right. Like, they probably didn't expect me to do the sort of job that I expect yeah. myself to do. Mm, so yeah. if anybody's going to be giving, like, side-eye or shade, it's going to be me at myself. Yeah. Um, so it'll probably be okay. Whereas with this, <laughs> there is that pressure um, – to perform mm. when you know somebody is putting you know their savings on the line yeah. um especially this because we've got a two-month runway to convince you know a few people in the uk that what we're doing has real value and has you know merit for them to put up some more money so we can continue to develop this and explore mm. um what it looks like long term yeah. mm-hmm. um so i'll be preparing for that also, uh, I need to set aside some days um, <laughs> at like in the coming weeks and months um, just on my calendar where it's just like, all right, I'm writing on this day. I'm editing on this day. Mm. I'm, you know, going to research um, different artists I might want to use for like my book cover because mm. like I know a year ago when I was on, um, I told you guys like, Hey, I'm working on my first volume of poetry. Mm. And then like life got crazy and I was still working on it, yeah. but like it slowed down a lot. And it, a lot of that was, uh, you know, just my own fault for letting things get in the way. But 
now I legitimately do have a lot more time, but similar to sort of what you said, Nick, it's like, this is a time when I feel like, oh man, yes, no reason to go out. Like I've got no excuse. This is perfect. And yet like, I find myself way more distracted than yeah. normal. Part of it is just like my kids are coming in way more and mm. like my wife needs more support because she's like, there is never any adult conversation except for what I have with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's yeah. totally understandable that like my kids are feeling stir crazy and my wife is feeling stir crazy. And like it, yeah, it just gets in the way of me being like, all right, now I'm going to be super productive on my, mm. like, creative endeavors. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, man, like, I do want to make the most of, you know, a, a unique time. Mm. And, you know, hopefully I'll be able to do that. The only other thing that might be of interest is my wife is doing, like, a weekly poetry um, club with my kids where, mm. you know, they're exploring poetry around a theme. Uh, mm -hmm. Last week was um, The Dark. So I wrote uh, a Shakespearean sonnet about being afraid of the dark. That's awesome. Um, because <laughs> that's something my son and I, uh, he's five, we both are very afraid of the dark. And for mm. me, that's something I've just sort of like made peace with. And I'm like, yes, well, even though I know vampires aren't real, part of me <laughs> thinks they are. And, it's really yeah. and part of me does think, huh, I've seen a lot of vampire movies. Yeah. I know exactly what's about to happen. <laughs> this is where I die. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yep, this is the most cinematic place for it to happen. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that was like kind of a fun thing. Um, and this this week is under the sea, so um, oh, that's I got to write a poem about something to do with the ocean. That mm. way, you know, I can share it with them because most of my poetry, to be honest, is not kid oriented because it's telling a lot of stories that I suppose are difficult stories for me or difficult stories for people I've encountered, um, mm. or are you know very justice oriented. And I think it takes a special way of writing and a special care and consideration to be able to communicate those to, uh, you know, children in a way that's meaningful for them that also mm. doesn't water down the message yeah. um, mm -hmm. that you're trying to communicate. And so it's, you know, as silly as it is, like <laughs> that Shakespearean sonnet, that was the first bit of like my poetry that my son has ever gotten to hear. And he, he'll be mm. like, oh, traveling to London to do like a poetry competition. Oh, dad won. Oh, wow. Or yeah, dad has a poetry book out or like, Oh, he's in this magazine. It's like, mm -hmm. well, he knows those things happen. And then he'll be like, Oh, well, will you share it with me? And I'm like, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> when you're old, maybe when you're like 18. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's, it's a fun exercise to, just write and not have the, I suppose, pressure to have this be something that is, you know, going to stand the test of time. And it's mm. more just about connecting with my kids. Yeah. Um, and that's a fun thing. And it's interesting seeing him sort of like starting writing poems with my wife uh, through like found poetry and stuff like that. And he's not a shy kid really like he's just shy enough to be adorable and mm. then like as soon as that initial shyness wears off he's like oh yeah i'm here i'm the coolest guy ever Endless. <laughs> it's like man the confidence he has now at five like it took me like 17 years to find yeah i was, I was gonna say there's <laughs> something about that that sounds familiar chris yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Like he has it so early. Yeah. Um, and, and yet performing stuff like that in front of people is something that like he's a little bit bashful about. Mm. And so it's it's cool seeing him sort of push through that and grow through that and be there, you know, alongside him. And also, I'll I'll admit, I like kind of epic failed with that sonnet and like probably <laughs> the the key is like the fact that it was a sonnet but i was like oh yes i've written a shakespearean sonnet about being afraid of the dark oh my my five-year-old son he will see this and he will go we are kindred spirits finally <laughs> like this is something that will be on his level and then like i read him the poem and he was like oh i was like what was it about and he's like Spooky stuff. I was like, yeah. Anything <laughs> else? And he's like, mm, no, just spooky stuff. <laughs> and I was just like, oh man, actually, like the way this was written to like conform with the structure of a Shakespearean sonnet, actually, this is not very kid friendly. Like, mm, I really right? need to try again. And I'm That's like, so oh, funny. Gosh, like, how am I so bad at like, writing for kids mm. and I think part of it is like I just talk to kids like they're grown-ups and that's great for talking mm. because you know if you talk long enough eventually you can explain it but so much <laughs> of poetry is being really concise and I mm. struggle with that to begin with and so then when you also <laughs> are like be concise in a way that a child can understand it's like uh, oh man that's a real time no. you know that's my wheelhouse that's where i live is just <laughs> speaking in in child language that's uh, yeah. yeah it's like the one thing that i feel like i can do well joy oh. what are you working on oh uh well right before we uh called chris i started uh painting our bathroom um because <laughs> i needed a project and we had leftover paint. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that's it. I'm gonna listen to Andrew Bird and paint the bathroom. So I started cutting in the bathroom. Um and I never uh so it's our it's our upstairs bath and uh oh my gosh, there's so many light fixtures and mirrors and towel bars. And I'm not even I think I'm like a quarter of the way in. So I'm gonna be working on that all weekend. Um but apart from that, uh, I host a podcast for um, for my work, actually, as a resource for parents. And uh, I started that several months ago, and um, work got crazy. And I didn't uh, release um, very many episodes. As a matter of fact, I released exactly one episode, and then I sat on the second one for a long time. Um and so I just released the second one this week, and I recorded a third one today. I have a fourth and a fifth lined up for this coming week. And so I'm going to be spending a lot of time um, recording and editing and trying to put out content for parents that is um, both uh, informational but also um, uh, encouraging and hope-filled. Um, so as to hopefully continue to, um, create tools, add, add to the tools in their toolbox for resilience, because this is, this can be a traumatic time for a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I love the families that we work with and, um, I know that for some of them, this is incredibly difficult. And, uh, and so we want to try and inject it with a little bit of hope. Um, so, uh, the last episode, the the second episode 
um, that I released is about trauma and resiliency. And I got to speak with an associate licensed marriage and family therapist who happens to also be a trauma specialist and talk with her about um, trauma and resiliency and how to, you know, promote resiliency in our families. Um, and then today I got to talk with a nurse who has a history in um, public health, background in public health, and talk to her about like practical ways of approaching this Um you know, as a family, really, uh, who is, like you said, Chris, like stuck in the house together and things are just slightly off, you know? Um, I think that uh, for a lot of us, we think about like, oh, well, it will be so great when things finally slow down. Um, but the reality is things slow down and it's uncomfortable and we don't really know what we're doing. Um, so trying to put as much... Uh, as, as, as much in there um, to provide hope and encouragement for our families um, as possible and to help them really focus on their strengths as a family. And then lastly, um, I'm going to be playing some music this week, um, similar to like what we were talking about earlier about this being a time when people seem to be really um, sort of suddenly finding their creative voices, so to speak. Um, I'm spending a lot more time, you know, with that itch to play the piano or play the violin or play the ukulele or whatever it is and, and just really work on those things. Um, so I'm going to be trying to make space for that, uh, this week, even though, um, I'm able to work from home. Um, and as a matter of fact, I have more work than ever because uh, a lot of social services are shut down right now. Ours is, one of the only ones still operating. Um, so we're, we have this massive influx of families who um, have lost a lot of services and they're coming to us. Um, and I'm privileged to be able to uh, serve them. But um, I want to make sure that I'm taking time to be creative because suddenly I feel like it again. Uh, I want to do those <laughs> things again. So, yeah, that's it. Nick, what are you, uh, what are you working on? Uh, so today, actually, I spent some time uh, writing working on some of the short story stuff I've, I've got going on and uh, outlining some of my poems as well. Um, and then uh, did a little bit of illustrating and painting this week. Um, and I've got some other things kind of on the drawing board that I'm working on. Uh, but like I said, time is limited, and that's why I feel like messing up because as much as I have all this free time, I don't, I don't have the free time. My children have my free time. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm uh, hold up working. I get whatever's left. So the, um, I don't know. I got to figure this out. I got, I think I really have to figure out like either I start staying up late. So I have alone time to work on it and then like sleep in or I get up super early and then go to bed early and, uh, work on that mm. stuff. Like while people are asleep, um, I'm not sure. I got to figure that out just because if uh, if this does go on for a while, what I'm doing now is not sustainable to keep up with my projects. Yeah. So mm. that's kind of how I feel about it right now. And hopefully I can figure that out. But um, I did a little bit today, Saturday. So Joy didn't have to work. Um, and so I was able to get some stuff done, which was good. Yeah. Well, and you are, um, I can, I think that you and I are a little bit different in that creativity Um so for me, if someone else is in the room, I'll oh, fine. I don't care. I'll keep on working. But um, and I think that for you, it can be distracting. Um, well, I don't mind if people are in the room as long as I don't have to supervise them. Like, yeah. 
Like I can turn on headphones that, you know, noise cancel and like focus while mm-hmm. everyone is doing stuff. That's it's fair. It's the, you know, the outside noise of distraction or, mm. hey, can you get this for me? I need this versus yeah. being able to focus a little uninterrupted. Um, yeah. And it depends on the project. Like if I'm painting, I, like that's hard because sometimes, you know, I got to work quick, you know, paint dries and, you know, if, if it dries too fast and I haven't done my blending because it's watercolor, then that messes that up. Mm. And so mm-hmm. like that can't have the same kind of interruptions as maybe like doing a little bit of writing and then something else or, you know, with my part-time job doing some of that stuff and then helping somebody else. So again, it's figuring out what that schedule looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, just having like my five-year-old son Ezra in the room, like he has a a quiet time every day where he does like art or reading and stuff like that. It's Mm -hmm. just like we give him creative supplies and he just does whatever he wants. And oftentimes he'll have that like in my office um, so that Rachel can have a little bit of (laughs) time on her own Mm -hmm. if the other kids uh, end up taking naps. Um, But like even though Ezra knows he's supposed to be quiet and he's not supposed to ask me questions or favors or anything like that. Inevitably he does. And like, (laughs) because I find him like super adorable. Most of the time I'm like, fine. Yeah, buddy. Like I will give you a little bit of help. Cause he, he always is like a little help here, please. And it's just like, Oh, it sounds so cute. And then your heart breaks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or he's like, dad can you take a photo of me and it's just like okay yeah sure dude because like he'll he'll just get so excited about whatever it is he's asking for help for or he's just so earnest in what he's asking for help for and so even if i'm in like a really bad mood and i'm super stressed out and i'm like listen ezra you're not supposed to be talking to me right now i like I find it just distracting having him in the room because knowing he needs help, even if I, even if he doesn't say anything to me, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, are you kind of a bad dad right now? Because like (laughs) he's, he is totally understandably being like, I'm not allowed to use sharp scissors and dad is right there and he is allowed to use sharp scissors. So (laughs) this is kind of like a match made in heaven. It's just like 30 seconds of cutting. So why can't he do that? And Mm. I'm like, you know, this is a good point that I am making for him in my head because (laughs) that's what I think he's thinking. (laughs) And I'm just like, all right, yeah, just give me the scissors. Sometimes it's actually faster to just sort of like interrupt him to Mm. like offer the help before he builds up the courage to ask for it only to like turn around three times and then do it anyway. Right. Um, Yeah. That's funny. Another cool thing though um, at the moment is I made cornbread from scratch for the first time. Nice. Um, I love cooking, but I do very little baking mostly Mm. because baking is a lot more scientific and precise. And I'm a little Mm. bit more like, "Eh, no, I don't like prunes. I'm going to use cherries. Um, (laughs) Like, I don't know. But yeah. Like baking is like, oh, what's that? Like you used five grams too much of this. Now uh, it is flat. What are you making that like, requires what? prunes? Well, I don't know. That's just uh, <laughs> so. Are you, are you um, baking made, for the elderly? No. <laughs> oh, well, I made British scones. Um, oh. And they don't, they don't use prunes. Uh, but they often <laughs> will have like 
currents. Mm. Um, but I was like, oh, American people probably don't know what currants are. And mm. so, like, prunes is just the next I've thing. I've seen the great made. British baking show. I know what a current is, okay? <laughs> <laughs> there used to be currants in the SDR. <laughs> That's in true. The UK, like, it's called the Great British Bake Off. So every time people oh. go, like, oh, baking show i'm like what's that oh really like, i didn't know it was like, called something else yeah so it's called here people just call it bake off but it's called what? the great british off yeah and so people are like oh did you watch bake off last night and it's like oh yeah it's very nice <laughs> <But anyway>. <laughs> <laughs> very proper yes in my head because i was like oh that probably won't work and then i'm like prince oh that was stupid but just keep going maybe they won't call you out on it but anyway i made this very like <laughs> traditional it normally would be like with like raisins and like currants and stuff. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, Ugh, I don't want to eat that. I want to make it with cherries and dark chocolate. And oh. Rachel's like, you're crazy. This is flying in the face of tradition. Oh and she's God. like, this will be terrible. And then I made it and she's like, wow, this is the best thing ever. Um, and I'm hoping <laughs> I, I'm hoping I have similar results because I made uh, cornbread from scratch the other day. I never made it from scratch. 100% like a jiffy cornbread mix sort of guy. Oh, yeah. And that's all that's worked fine for me. Uh, but this, I was like, oh, this is so easy. Why would I ever buy a box mix? Like, it's <laughs> the simplest thing ever. Yeah. Like, no effort required. And it turned mm -hmm. out great. And so I'm going to be doing uh, a, a loaf of bread tomorrow. And I hope the results nice. are just as good. Because when bread goes right, you're like, oh, I am so a good. master of the universe. Right. Yeah. But when yeah. bread wrong, you're like, why are the gods punishing me? It goes horribly oh. wrong. There's no way between with done? bread. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, Joy made focaccia. And, uh, oh, yes. Yeah. It was delicious oh, the first God. time. I was super angry that, uh, yesterday, though, when I made it. It was not perfect. That was frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that's the worst. If it went really well the first time, then you're like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. And then you do it the second time, you're just like, Oh no! Yeah, I have pretty, so much to learn. I don't even much. know. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's frustrating. Nick is also miming to me about the timeline because when this comes out, it's not going to be. It will have been a couple weeks since I made focaccia. Yes, it will. All right, I'm everybody. sorry, I messed it so, up. So, um, <laughs> the days are running together, everybody. So, um, this episode went by the time you hear it. It will be in a couple It'll weeks. It'll be like three or four weeks from when we actually recorded it. Yes. And on last week's episode that you listened to last week, we talk about the focaccia just a oh, little bit. Oh, yeah, that's right. So Joy saying, I did this yesterday is not true. It was four for weeks you. ago. For you, it'll be weeks ago. But it was. It I was, was like, frustrating. I was trying to mime her. And Timeline had, of consistency. Why did you say yesterday? I had no idea what he was miming for the longest time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was one of those situations where I was like, the first time I made focaccia was great. It was beautiful and just amazing. And the second time I made it, I was like, what the crap is this? It's horrible. Yesterday's four-week-old <laughs> focaccia oh. was... <laughs> Interesting. It was terrible. And yeah, it was just one of those moments where um I I told my friend I was like, I don't know what I did wrong because I was I really thought I followed the recipe and I really thought I used the same recipe. So what did I do? <laughs> um and yeah, and like similar with like any any kind of baking like um bread especially is tricky. Bread or bagels or pretzels mm. or anything like that that has like a rise time. 
Um, or like uh, you have to use certain temperature of water so you don't kill the yeast and all of those things. It's yeah, it's tricky. And if you get it even just a little bit wrong, it goes. It's so wrong. Um, yeah, that goes so badly. <laughs> but then when it's right, it's so good. Yeah, and that said, like, there's never been a better time because the fact is, if you mess it up, you just be like, oh, I don't know, like, I've just been inside the house too long and I'm not thinking clearly. Oh, look at me. Like I'm a pajama ninja and yes. I can bake bread like a master. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <Pajama> ninja. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. I know where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. So, but that's, yeah, that's kind of our, that's what we're all, I feel like we're all kind of in the same boat together. That's what we're all working on is like, Figuring out the routine, um, you know, doing things that we enjoy that are maybe a little bit out of the norm, but still wonderful and good things to pursue. And then, um, yeah, trying to trying to make ends meet and trying to figure it all out. That's like, that's what yeah. we're all doing, right? Trying to make ends meet and make meat ends. That's weird. I don't, I don't know, know what I, that is. It's like grocery shopping. If you a smoker, then yeah, yeah, you can make meat ends. <laughs> Spare ribs. True. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. You could do that. Well, well Chris, uh, we want to thank you for being on the show, and thank you for spending your late evening, early morning with us oh there gosh, in yeah. the UK, yeah. and uh, hanging out and sharing just your heart and the things that are going on in your life and and your creativity and your story. Um, where can people oh, find God. you if they want to support you? Um, so uh, you can find my website chriscampbell.com it's spelled like the soup but there's no P in it um, <laughs> also chriscampbellpoetry.com fightevilwithpoetry.com um, or just uh, Instagram at chriscampbell mm. very cool we'll have those linked below guys so you can check that out and support Chris uh, like you said he's got some projects coming up but if you're in the UK and you have a chance to sit down and have a pint with him and like talk through like some projects that'd be awesome um, but if you're uh, elsewhere in the world and you're looking for some digital design work graphic design logo making check out his stuff he is solid and uh, it'd be great to see you guys support him mm-hmm. as well yeah um, as always you can find us stokethewild.com you can email us uh, or send in questions to us stokethewild at gmail.com and hit us up on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at stokethewild um, and you can find my personal art page at Nick Dirtinger Art. You can find me at JM Dirtinger on the social medias. And we thank you guys so much for all your support. Uh, shout out to our Patreons and those who support us there. Go to patreon.com slash stoke the wild and get ready to celebrate our one year anniversary, which is coming up. We've got some prizes, some giveaways, and some cool stuff happening. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you guys so much, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.